1: The Province Force (laughs) Podcast. Welcome to the White Towel Podcast. I'm Paul Chapman, joined this week by Ben Kuzma. Ben, it's been a while since we had you on a pod. (laughs) A little busy down at the rink, but uh, pods are great,
0: vids are great. I mean, there's uh a. unbelievable appetite for everything down at the ring, Paul. So it's nice to
1: sit in on this. Well, it is. It's, it's so funny. I do find these, uh, the last three seasons have been remarkably similar, both in how they've played out and also where we end up at the end of the year. So, you know, last year we had the, uh, the sayonara to the Sedins and everyone was just so, uh, in this love fest. So the season ended on a positive note. The year before was Brock Besser and his audition. Um, this year, Elias Pettersson has been such a magnificent story this year, Ben, but he really seems to have slowed down. Looks like the whether it's the length of the season or the losing has sort of dragged him back uh, a little bit. Uh, not that that's not a good story, his season still, but it's Quinn Hughes, isn't it? That's what we're waiting for. The only reason to follow this team now for the end of the year is to let's see what the newest rookie and newest prospect can do.
0: Yeah, no, that's a great point. I mean, uh, everything you've seen, read, and heard about Quinn Hughes, just watching him skating uh, in the morning before practices, uh, his edge work is sublime. I mean, I've written so many stories about him. Uh, we're all anxious to see it uh, come to fruition and possibly play as early as Thursday against uh, Los Angeles because, uh, really, he's uh, he could be a generational player in the sense the the way the game has changed so much. He's kind of like a get-out-of-jail-free card, the way he can transport the puck out of his own zone. Like I said, his edge work, he can spin on a dime. He can avoid the four-checker. He gets through the neutral zone. He can make things happen. So uh, if you look at the way the game is trending and if you're the Canucks, and certainly after what has happened here of late, just just so much difficulty in, in gaining leads or holding leads or trying to uh, mount a comeback, a guy like Quinn Hughes could have made a difference in any of these games down the stretch. And that that's what the populace is excited about. Um, for everybody who's a draftist and wants them to lose, uh, it's pretty hard when you walk into that room and come up to a player and say, so... Uh, Are you going to put in half an effort tonight? I mean, they're professional athletes. I I think just in talking to some of the guys in the room, Paul, uh, they're really anxious to see him play. Uh, They know what he can do, and I don't think this is some, like, flash in the pan. Can he be this or can he be that? Ten games at the World Championship last May as the youngest competitor uh, in the entire tournament and not looking out of place, and some of the scouts I've talked to about that tournament said, you can slot him in right now, and he's going to make a difference.
1: But... Yeah, and, I, and I, I think people have a right to be excited about it and everything you hear about the guy is he is an exceptional talent, but you keep hearing from experts that it's tougher to find your way as a defenseman in the NHL as it is a forward. Are there unrealistic expectations being put on this kid? I mean, I'm not going to compare him to Ole Uolevi, completely different player. Uh, Uolevi's had a couple of years in the pros now, certainly had some injury issues, but neither player has played one minute in the NHL and you hear people talk about, I mean, I don't want to get into the hysteria of sports radio, but I've seen polls suggesting that, you know, will he win a Norris Trophy before he's played a minute? And yet Ulovi's ne- never played a minute either, and people have written this kid off as a bust. It, it's not, we're used to Besser, and we saw a huge leap from Pedersen when he finally played, or when he first got to play this year. Isn't it tougher for defensemen? defenseman?
0: It is tougher for a defensemen, and you're right. The expectations, of course, they're unrealistic. This is Vancouver. We expect, you know, we expect Patterson to win the Calder before he played a game, and of course, he's still the front runner. Uh, the thing about Hughes, my my concern is this: uh, as much as he's supposed to be this special player, there has to be a support system in place. Uh, he's a left shot guy, and they've got eight left shot guys now. So there's another conversation: who's he going to play with on the right side? I mean, there's nobody left here because everybody's hurt. Uh, it'll be interesting to see when he does hit the ice, but I'm more worried about next fall. Um, Where's your support system? I mean, knock on wood, I I would imagine if Chris Tanev could ever stay healthy as a right-shot guy, you might put him with him. There's some thought that, well, hang on, the game has changed so much. Why don't you put Hughes and Stetcher together, which is, when you really think about it, two undersized guys on the back end, is that really where the game is going? Here's my concern, Paul. Last Sunday, when, when Columbus came to town, granted it was a back-to-back, granted the Canucks had an emotional loss to Calgary the night before. To me, that was an eye-opener game because when you're watching that from above, you're looking at a Columbus team that's not trying to get, just get back to the playoffs but do something and actually win around for the first time in franchise history. That was a big, fast club. Kind of got a lot of Winnipeg Jet thing going there. And I, then I look at the Canucks and I go, hang on a second here. They're going for the skill and skill over size, which is true to a degree. But I really wonder, uh, the way the Canucks are trending, and now Hughes, another undersized defenseman coming on board, have they kind of missed the mark in the sense that you still have to have some pushback? You still have to have some size. If you're going to be a team that's going to eventually get to the playoffs and be there every year, after that Columbus game, Paul, I'm going, hang on a second here. They're years away from getting back to the dance on a regular basis,
1: years. So I've heard that debate as well, and, and you know, we can look at the Canucks blue line, and certainly it's been maligned whether, you know, before Good Branson was moved, after Good Branson has moved, Pouliot's the, the latest whipping boy. Um, you got to think that if Eul Levy is healthy at all, he'll definitely get a good audition next year, and Hughes, so you got two good young pieces you can play with. But I've seen a lot of controversy over the Tyler Myers mm link a guy who may be available to them uh, would they spend the money on it maybe you know Benning who Jim Benning who we'll talk about later seems to have taken themselves out of the Carlson equation just by his suggestion of how much they'll spend could easily be a smokescreen who knows but which direction do you see the Canucks going here I mean I take your point if you're gonna compete with a Nashville with a Winnipeg with a Vegas you're gonna have to have some size so um, Do you see them chasing a guy like Myers? Do you see them chasing Carlson? What else can they do for this blue line to give Hughes some help next year?
0: I don't see them doing it on the back end in free agency. I think the Canucks are of the mind that uh, they're going to – like they have nine restricted free agents. And it's fine to have restricted free agents. You have something that's of value. And what you have are draft picks and younger players who might be of value. And Benning is loath to part with any of them. Uh, The problem on the back end, it's going to cost you an arm and a leg in free agency to get a guy – uh, even a trade to get a top four guy is going to cost you a lot. It, it's complicated because another big problem for this team is that it needs somebody for Bo Horvat to play with. I think they're going to spend their money in free agency when it comes to a winger. Um, in a perfect world, you'd like to see them do it on the back end as well. I don't think they're going to have the resources. they got to do Brock Besser's uh, deal this summer. And as a guy who's going to be a 25 to 30 goal scorer on a regular basis, uh, that contract could start with a six or a seven or whatever. And, you know, down the road, you got so, to do Pedersen. So to answer your question, I don't think they're going to go after a free agent defenseman in terms of just opening up the wallet. I think they're going to do that up front. Um, and this is why it's so complicated in the off offseason. Uh, this is, you know, everybody's kind of got the uh, Jim Benning watch going on, and, and I would imagine rightfully so. But I would say, uh, regardless of which way that pendulum swings, this is going to be, in my mind, the most defining off season for the Canucks in terms of how the hockey ops department functions and what kind of team they put on the ice next
1: fall. So if they spend on a top six winger, you might then look at someone like Vertanen, who's expendable. Do you see uh, help in the defense coming by way of a trade, or are you looking at them rushing a guy like Jet Wu into the lineup?
0: I say a trade. Um, you know, Jet Wu's had a great year in and, and Moose Jaw, point a game player, uh, second-team all-star, plays for Tim Hunter. Uh, seems to have a game that's, you know, we talked about guys with, with size, and the one thing that's really improved with Jet Woo this year is his skating. And you can improve your skating, folks, uh, from year to year as a big 6-foot, uh, 203-pound defenseman. And like what we talked about earlier, imagine him being able to transition that to the NHL and have a guy who can be maybe a down-low guy, works the walls well, and could pair with a guy like, like Hughes maybe somewhere down the road, and you've got that kind of traditional pairing. Uh, but having said that, in terms of what they're going to do in the back end, like you said, you're not going to just get rid of your. I mean, you, usually when you make a trade, uh, you inherit somebody else's problem. Uh, if if Jim Benning is not willing to, to make hard decisions about some of his players, uh, you know, you're not going to just package them. You're not going to say, OK, well, you got to take this player. We'll eat some salary, uh, but we don't want to give up uh, any of our draft picks and we don't want to give up some of our young players. Uh, this is what it, why it's so interesting in this off season. Would they look at a guy like Jake Vertanen and say, well, yeah, he's got 15 goals, but he's also 23 years old. Can he take the next step? Is he just going to be a third-line winger? Is he never going to be that top-six uh, power-forward guy? The reason that we thought, you know what, we've got that guy in, in Jake Vertanen. We don't we, we don't need to go after Kachuk at, at, at the draft because we've got that guy in Jake. Well, you know what? They still don't know if they have that guy in Jake, but maybe some other team says we're willing to make a trade that includes Vertanen because we, we think... He can get his game to another level. That's where it's going to get interesting.
1: So if you look at the, if you look at these handful of games left, obviously people are clamoring to see Quinn Hughes. Who else on the blue line has um, impressed you? Like, do you think guys like Sautner and Shenner in the mix for next year? Because honestly, yeah. Ben, you know, you mentioned Stetcher. I think he's a slam dunk. Everyone seems to want to trade Tanev and Hutton away. Um, Edler certainly proved his his worth, but you're you're so right about the health. I mean, those guys, Edler and Tan, or, and Tannum in particular, so brittle. You know that you're not going to get through a season with both of them healthy. So where does your depth come from? What else? What have you liked yeah. down the stretch about the Canucks blue line, or not liked?
0: Uh, well, I would say what I don't like, uh, I've seen Breesbaugh play. I just don't think after four years that he's his game has evolved at all. I, I still I still think he's very tentative uh, with the puck. I don't think he moves it well. I think he's easier to knock off the puck. I think Ashton Sautner has become a really nice story here. In a, is simple, he plays a simple, direct game, a physical game too, uh, and, and is not prone to mistakes in his own zone. has his heads up, makes that nice first pass. I think Ashton Sautner is another left-shot guy. If you look in the way things may evolve next fall, and in this marketplace, you better carry eight defensemen. Maybe he slots in as a seven or eight guy. I think you, you have to carry a couple of extra defensemen just because of the, the minutes uh, that you mentioned earlier with Edler and Tanev how much they're going to play, how much they're susceptible to injury, uh, and the fact that you may have to plug guys in who, who can play. So uh, I like Sautner's game. Um, the interesting thing here, the last few games, last night was so boring that I, I was tweeting out the <laughs> channel meter, and I've never had so many responses because every time I looked at the sheet, it was going up one, and and he's got, what, 19 hits in his last two games. But it's not just that. You're talking about a 29-year-old guy who's been around, uh, who's really physical, who actually turns better than Good Branson, And I know that's not a big leap, but I was watching him last night and I'm thinking, well, hang on a second here. Uh, for everything you're trying to do on the back end, would it kill the Canucks if Luke Shen at, at 29 would say, listen, I, I just I would just want to stay in the game. He knows where he's at. Even a one year deal just to come back and, and, and add some some depth to the back end and and maybe a little bit of pushback because they don't have it right now. So uh, he hasn't played much. The Canucks really didn't know what they were getting, didn't know how much he would play. He's obviously played because of injury. But I'll tell you, the last few games, um, he looks like he can play. He looks like he can address a need. And I don't think he's going to break the bank. I I think you could do him on a one-year, just come back and help us out deal. And I'm talking at not much money either. So that's something I think they really should consider. And I know that's a lot to say
1: after a few games, but... He's kind of been a revelation. Um, Obviously, we talk about Quinn Hughes and how people want to see him, and then he'll be out of the box ready to go for next season. Uh, Pedersen's still a great story. You'll have Besser coming into his third year next year. Um, Jacob Markstrom, to me, has been one of the remarkable stories this year. He's played himself, obviously, into that number one spot, shown he's capable of it. Um, You know, your thoughts on the goaltending situation, both on Markstrom's medium to long-term future here. And also, I know for some people, Demko hasn't played enough. Uh, Certainly, injury has been a part of that. But do you like what you see in Thatcher Demko? What what work does he still have to do? And is he the long-term starter for the Vancouver Canucks, do you think?
0: Well, I used to think that uh, I was of the mind that by next year that there would be a real competition for the cage. I don't know how you split it. But a a lot has transpired. I don't think, obviously, you know, with Thatcher Demko suffering that concussion Uh, from friendly fire on September 23rd and missing two months, and then finally getting his game in order in Utica and coming here. Obviously, he hasn't played enough. And in his last start, you could see where he was very susceptible with his positioning, getting beat short side glove, getting beat from long range, uh, high in the stick side. Uh, Those are puck tracking problems. Those are positioning problems for a bigger guy. Uh, He did admit after the game that he's got a lot of work to do. And I think sometimes we lose sight of the fact that you know, that position takes a long time. Remember when Markstrom was playing in the Calder Cup final in 2015, uh, we thought he was the second coming of whoever. And it's taken to this year for Markstrom to get his game and his head in a place where he can handle us post game. We pepper, you know, we always ask him about the goals that went in, not about the saves. And when you work in this market and when you're a goaltender in this market, you need to develop some thicker skin. And I think that's been the real improvement in Markstrom, his demeanor, and, and of course, his positioning. Uh, With Ian Clark, he's he's more calm. He's more upright. He's sealing up the short sides a lot better. But to answer your question, I think we're years away uh, from Demko being that everyday starter. And when you factor in the expansion draft and protecting a goalie, uh, this is what's going to make Markstrom's uh, uh, situation really interesting with a year left on his deal. Uh, What can you get him at? Are you better to maybe go at him now, uh, this summer, after July 1st, when you can extend him, as opposed to him getting out of the gate and having another good start and suddenly the money goes up? Um, I don't think the goaltending uh, is as set as I thought it was going to be in terms of Demko uh, really challenging Markstrom. But the other side to that is I really think Markstrom has arrived. and We never really linked him as a bona fide NHL starter. I think he's really proved here uh, in this year as being the go-to guy, having to understand what it means to be the go-to guy on and off the ice. Your conditioning, your nutrition, uh, the psychology of it all, how you handle us, how we handle him. Uh, I have to give him check marks in all those categories. So uh, that's a great story for Jacob Markstrom. Uh, it's a development one for for Demco. And, of course, you got D Pietro uh, in the system at some point. So um, they're going to have to make some decisions. The key for me is can you get Markstrom under contract uh, at reasonable term because eventually you'd like to think that you're going to go to Demco, uh,
1: but you're still years away from that. So it's funny. <laughs> You know, we we have talked about it. Defensemen and goalies definitely do take longer to develop uh, than forwards in the NHL. That's not just Vancouver. You look around Mm -hmm. the league and you see that. Do we take for granted sometimes how big a leap it is to play in the NHL, whether it's making that leap from uh, college hockey, junior hockey, the AHL, Europe? I mean, guys like Pedersen, I think that's one of the reasons they amazed us so much was he just stepped in and was like, holy cow, does this kid have, didn't seem phased by the speed of the game, the size of the players at all. But for most players that aren't Elias Patterson, uh, do we sometimes underestimate how elite the players in the NHL are?
0: I think it's easier to acclimate when you when you play up front. I mean, the first half of the season was PD's personal playground. Let's not kid ourselves. Uh, you go on the road with the team, the other teams really didn't defend him. Uh, he had all kinds of time and space, and then they took it away in the second half. One of my concerns quite frankly, and you touched on it earlier, Paul, when you talk about Pedersen or even Besser uh man they they they're gonna have to find a way uh whether it's being creative or understanding the flow of the game uh to find that time and space uh this has been an interesting developing story where um suddenly yeah Pedersen's still the Calder trophy front runner, but my goodness uh he got to a point there where he was reluctant to shoot the puck because he hadn't scored in a dozen games uh he was passing on shots he's trying to get the thread the puck through several skates and having it turned over so in that respect it should be easier to acclimate as a forward but then people find a way to defend you but as you move your way back for defensemen it's a huge adjustment uh, talking to aston Ashton Sautner the other day he couldn't believe when he gets the puck how quick guys are on him you have to have your head up you have to make that first read real quickly because um The guys are on you so quickly. But, you know, the neat thing about at this level and what's different from the American League is when you're making that pass, guys are usually in the right position. It's not as scrambly as the American Hockey League. And when you dovetail it back to goaltending, and, you know, I've talked to Demko a lot about this, he can't believe the accuracy of guys to change the angle on shots, to shoot from everywhere, and to pick corners. Uh, The American Hockey League is, is pretty scrambly in that respect. And if you're not there to make that first save, and you're coughing up rebounds, the puck's probably going to be in the net. So uh, this is a really interesting time. This gets back to wanting Demko, you know, to play more games, and I'm not sure what they're going to do down the stretch here with very few games left. I mean, you'd like to see him get at least a couple of them, um, but it's a real eye-opener. And as you move your way back from forward to
1: defense, and especially goal, it's a pretty tough transition, a lot harder than people realize. Okay, so let's talk about Pedersen's story of the season. Mm -hmm. Obviously, as you said, you say those things, passing up shots, and yeah. you know certainly the body language isn't uh, isn't what it was earlier uh, this season. What do you think is the cause of that? Has he is is the body wearing down? Is the mind wearing down? Is the losing wearing down? What do you think that is? Why have we seen him slow down so? Yeah, much? Yeah,
0: you know I think it's the last part, Paul. I think he hit on a good thing. It's the losing. I mean, this guy played in the, S- the Swedish Hockey League last year, led his club to the championship, was the MVP in the regular season, was the MVP in the playoffs. Um, played in the World Championship, played in World Juniors, had 44 games in the regular season. And this is the interesting game component. When I did the addition, he had them all up, and he actually played 69 games last year uh, between all three, which is quite admirable. But, but they're not NHL games. They're not second-half NHL games. Uh, I, I've noticed the body language. Uh, you see it in the room. You see it on the ice. There's a frustration level. I, he he told me, he said, I don't think I've hit the wall. Well, you take him? You, and you take that, uh, you know, okay. You don't think you've hit the wall? That, that's a good thing but how are you going to adjust? And and I think what people need to understand, the upside about Pedersen is he's really good at figuring things out. He came into this league uh, basically self-taught. I mean, he didn't have a a shooting coach last year. He learned the one-timer on his own because he told me, I knew coming to North America with the smaller ice surface, time and space at a premium, I was gonna have to get the puck away quicker. I didn't have a one-timer in the Swedish Hockey League last year. I had to develop it before practice and after practice. So I give him a big, a big check mark there, and, and just knowing how to transition the puck through zones, how to read plays, I'm, 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 I'm of the mind that Pedersen is going to figure out because he's that creative and he's that smart and he's usually one step ahead of the play. I just think the second half of this season has been a revelation for him. But every time somebody's kind of doubted him, he's been able to figure it out. So I think that's something to get excited about. And but I, I really think he hit on a big thing there, Paul. He's not accustomed to losing. And and it, and it grinds him because he will talk about a giveaway post game as opposed to a goal or an assist because he's that driven. And I, I think what he sees around him uh, when that becomes more of the norm uh, with the team on a collective note uh, down the stretch here, uh, I think it grates on him a little bit.
1: So if you, you know, if you look at his situation. Mm-hmm. Um, Obviously he's, as I said, it's still a great story of him with him as a rookie and what he was able to achieve the first part of the season. But how much of this is on you know, the front office in many respects, uh, having the, all that focus on him, when you look at the teams that, that they've been playing down the stretch here, when you look at an Arizona or a Columbus, they're playing all these teams that are no, they're desperate for points. they're still in the playoff race. And it's like if you shut down Pederson and Besser to some degree, you've shut down the Canucks. Like, how much of this is he needs more support? And I guess this comes around. Everyone's been bitching about this defense for the last two seasons, but it's pretty clear that they need help, as you said, with wingers. They need other guys to take the heat off that top line because what I'm seeing from Pedersen, when you talk about frustration is yeah. teams just say, look, if we look after him, this team can't beat us.
0: Yeah, they can't. I mean, they, they struggle enough to score at even strength, and they got one of the worst power plays in the league. Um you know, you look around and, and you know, Josh Level's a nice story, okay? That, that that was a good acquisition. He's got 15 goals. He's a restricted free agent. I don't have a problem in bringing Josh Lievel back, but is he really, is, is he a top six forward? I mean, he can play the left side. He can play the right side. You know, he's been with Pedersen and Besser, but, but but is that the alignment you want moving forward? And Bo Horvat has had a dozen different wingers this year. There has been three dozen different line combinations, if you still want to call that a first line. And trust me, there's a frustration level that that Bo won't talk about, but you can see it in the body language. Uh, it it really showed itself the other night after another loss. And again, like we talked about earlier, who's going to play with Horvat? Who's going to play with Pedersen and Besser? Because you you better you can't. This is, goes back to the kind of the old days, you know, the one line, the Sedin line. Shut the Sedin line down, you're done. There's not the support group here. I mean, they've got all these restricted free agents. I mean, Marcus Granlund, okay, he's gone. I mean, you have to make decisions on other guys. I mean, a guy like Tyler Mott is a restricted free agent, but that's a bottom six guy. If he can ever get the double-digit goals, which he has, that's amazing. He's not your problem. But where's the scoring coming from in the bottom six? You'd like to think Adam Godette is going to develop into uh, a decent center, third-line center, as a Hobie Baker award winner, but he's finding out what it's all about, Um he's now struggling to, to get into the offensive zone. So if you don't have the support system in place, and this this is not just a Canuck thing. I mean, I remember going back to, you know, even you think about the Oilers, you know, you know when they had Taylor Hall and they had Eberly and they had Ryan Nugent Hopkins as young guys. They all got hurt in the same year because they tried to play the same game in the NHL that they played in junior and they had zero support in Edmonton and the Oilers went nowhere. And again, you could argue that even today, the Oilers are a four four-player team and they're out of the playoffs. You look at the Canucks, you could say it's a one-line team uh, that struggles to do anything in special teams and doesn't have a support system in place. And again, this all gets back to this offseason. What are you going to do next year? I firmly believe this isn't about, you know, man, we're going to eventually make the playoffs. Even if it's one and done next year, I just think the optics of it all they have to get into the playoffs next year, even if it's the last wild card spot. I know what people think. Well, why would you want to get in and you're punted out in five games or whatever? I I think there's more optics at play. Are we? If we're ever going to get there, we better move the the goalposts enough next year that at least we get in and, and we and then go from there. I really think it's a big deal.
1: It's funny. I just did the uh, I do host the national hockey podcast uh, off the post. Give it a little plug there with Mike Trakos, uh, post national hockey writer. And he suggested that he would rather be the Canucks than the Oilers at this stage, even though you've got Connor McDavid, just the expectation. He thinks that the Oilers are too dysfunctional and the Canucks are, are on the right track if they add some more elite talent. Um, but let me ask you this about the GM. Uh, and this is something that Ed, Ed doing the podcast is, Mm -hmm. has brought this up a couple of times over the last couple of weeks and drawn some considerable listener interest. So thank you for that. Those of you that are listening, um, is Jim Benning's job safe? Because you do see this debated a lot. Yes, you can point to Pedersen, you can point to Besson, you can point to Hughes and say, well, now the scouting is starting to pay off. Um, but there's others who will point out that the depth's not there, that you're still, no. you've are still, you been the worst team in hockey over the last four years. Now, I would have been shocked at any suggestion that Benning's job would not be safe considering uh, you know, when you look at those elite players and how good they've looked in the NHL. But there is this sort of school of thought that when you look at what happened in Vegas and when you look at what may happen in Seattle and who they're looking at for GMs and who the Oilers are looking at for a new GM, that there may be some impatience on the part of ownership who may see a star candidate out there who they would prefer as their GM a little bit more. What's your sense from talking to people within the organization?
0: Well, I think it's interesting because when you don't fill the vacancy um, as uh – President of Hockey Ops, whatever you want to call it. By the way, that's a really weird title. I've never understood that one. Um, you know, Hockey Ops is a different thing. A presidency to me is worrying more about corporate things. I think there's a void in the hockey operations department. Um, Jim Benning's never so happy when he tells me he's going scouting. Like I recently was talking to him and he was going out to, to check out the latest crop of college free agents. And he loves it. I mean, he cut his teeth from that in Buffalo. Uh, we know he's a was an assistant GM uh, in Boston uh, under Shirelli and had marginable, you know, in terms of his clout, in terms of making roster decisions. I, I think the big problem the Canucks have is having that guy who can make the trade, the guy that who, who understands the art of the deal, the guy who has a working relationship, actually, with, with GMs in the league. Trust me, it's an old boys club. It, you know, it, it's not surprising that the it's the same... GMs are usually doing the deals between each other. I think there's a void in the sense of having a guy who can broker the right deal. Obviously, the Canucks are on the right track when it comes to scouting. I don't think Judd Brackett gets enough credit, and he's kind of the shining star. I mean, is he going to become an assistant GM one day uh, because he understands where the game is going? I mean, you look back, it's funny too. You look back at that 2015 draft in Chicago, not just Pedersen uh beginning, you know, they got Colin and they got Gadjevich and they got D. Pietro. And I had people coming up to me, scouts I know with other organizations, telling me that that was the Canucks' best draft since oh four. Uh and and there's something to be said for that. But now you look at Gadgevich, you look at Lind and how long it's going to take them to, to even take that next step at the minor pro level. I guess what I'm getting to, I think their scouting is 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 good. You look at the Wu acquisition as well. But there's something missing in the art of the deal in terms of being able to broker the trades to help your club and they don't always have to be you know that first line mover or, or your top six It it's the support system that this team desperately needs can you get go out and make trades or acquisitions to help Pederson, to help besser to help horvat and i don't know whether they have that guy in their system right now uh jim is great at scouting uh evaluating talent but they just don't seem to have that deal maker
1: well, I think historically this franchise really outside of Brian Burke has has made that mistake of of overvaluing your own talent. It's like, you know, no one wants to give anything up. And if you're just going to offer uh, fourth liners and, and third round picks, you're not going to get a star player back in return. I think you have to be willing to. Sometimes give up something to get something, and that's where you have to trust your scouting, don't you?
0: Yeah, that's true. But you know, it's also your your pro scouting department too, because I think a big a big failing of the Canucks is you know if they were on the market, they wouldn't. Have, I don't know if they have any money left in their jeans because you can't buy high. You know, you're supposed to buy low and and trade high. I mean, or sell high. I should say. I mean, you know, we go back to the Erickson deal, and you know, nobody was really arguing the fact that the guy was a thirty goal scorer. Uh, in in Boston, had 10 goals on the power play that year, was going to play with the Sedins, they had great success at the World Championship, it was just going to naturally mesh. Well, you have to have the whole idea of whether you're going the free agency route or trade is to understand the value of a player moving forward, that he's going to be on an upward trend, especially if you're looking for support guys. We can get him for this price because we don't think he's a 15-goal scorer, we think he's a 20-22 to goal scorer. That's what they have to do, and that's the most difficult thing for any organization to value players at the pro scouting level because that's the quickest way to support what you're already doing in terms of a rebuild. It's not about finding the next great draft pick for the Canucks. It's about finding a support system in place, and that's a pro scouting thing, and that's a GM thing.
1: So if you look at this team now with a handful of games left, what do you Mm -hmm. want to see? Huh.
0: That's a great question. I guess, you know, the curiosity level is, is you know, can we get a read on Quinn Hughes in five games? Um, is there enough there to say that, wow, we've seen this much. Um, that's going to make us rethink what we need to do in the back end. He can definitely play, uh, maybe he's a top pairing guy. He's definitely, a you know, in number three or four. But what if he's a top pairing guy? Does that change what we're going to do? we have so many left shot defensemen too like there's i counted everybody in terms of prospects that they're, they're eight or nine now so and you know travis likes his left and right side guy so what do i want to see number one um is quinn hughes the real deal secondly i hope demko gets at least a couple more starts i didn't like his game i mean i really didn't like his game last game so i need to know that uh how quickly he can recover even just by practicing uh before practice with Ian clark can he get his game in order and of course, the big thing with restricted for agents, Paul, is, you know, it used to be just uh, kind of boilerplate stuff. You you qualify them, you sign them for reasonable money. But I think this organization is, is at a, a different spot now. You're trying to take that next step as an organization. It's not just bringing back the same guys and hoping they can reach the, another level. It's it's maybe understanding that I think we can move this guy or we're going to walk away from a guy. We need to get better. We need to get a better support system for our, our elite young players. Um these are are big tasks for any hockey ops department, and when I look at the RFAs, I mean Goldobin. I don't think you know, I think they're done with he Goldobin. Looks done, yeah, he's done. Paul, like like beyond done. They've given him every opportunity. granlin's done. Uh, Pouliot's done. Then you got guys I mentioned earlier. Levo to me, you bring him back. If Tyler Mott is short term and easy money as a fourth line winger, you can bring him back. But again, where's the support system? where's the scoring going to come from it's not just re-signing guys and uh, coming back with the same group it's not going to work where are the goal is going to come from
1: okay let's end on a good note shall sure. we uh, when i was talking to mike dracos as i mentioned on the the national podcast roberto luongo's name came up because um obviously he's you know played last game in montreal florida made it pretty clear they're not going to bring him back and he 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 said this week to media that uh, he wasn't interested in going anywhere else. He's he's not saying he's retiring, but if he can't play in Florida and plus he's, he's, this has been his worst year in terms of injuries. Where does he stand for you in terms of players you've covered? Um, I just know in Vancouver, there's this endless debate about who goes in the ring of honor, who gets a retired number. And I know retiring number one, because it's such a goalie number is a big deal, but you know, Uh, Tracos thinks that Luongo's a slam dunk Hall of Famer, no debate, no question. And the Canucks don't have a lot of Hall of Famers. Where does Luongo stand for you and the Pantheon players you've covered? Well, he's up there.
0: He's up there in a competitive uh, sense because as the all-time leading goaltender here, um, he's a big reason they got to the final. Uh, If it had some better games in Boston, there probably would be a banner hanging here by now, but... um, uh, for me, on a personal level, there's an admiration in terms of his craft and his dedication to it. Uh, he could be as prickly as anybody when you're dealing with a guy on a daily basis, but that speaks to the fire in the belly. You're thinking of some of the goaltenders who have been here, who have been you know, the Corey Schneiders of the world or Ryan Millers of the world, who you just love to spend an afternoon with and pick their brains until and, and, and it's time to go home. Uh, Roberto was all about his craft, and uh, sometimes he was very short with us, but then again, uh, his game usually spoke. I look at a guy, Paul, who's 40, and like you said, uh, it takes him all day uh, to get ready to play uh, with his injuries. He needs a lot of time to warm up. Um, I know he, you. know the game in Montreal meant a lot to him. Uh, I think back to the Heritage Classic here in, in at BC Place. We know how that played itself out. The funny thing in this marketplace, it's usually not what you've done. It's how you left and it took forever for Pavel Bury to be um, really uh, honored uh, with his retirement. Um, Ryan Kessler looks like his career may be over, and of course we know he wanted out, and uh, Roberto Luongo told us that his contract sucked, and I don't know whether that's a slight on the organization or the fact that you just couldn't move that contract until they changed ownership in Florida. So uh, I have a lot of admiration for uh, Roberto Luongo, and I do see him now. It's really amazing, Paul, and when you see these athletes as they mature, uh, they become even better people. So uh, I wish the best for him. In terms of how he's honored by the organization here, you can make an argument that he's a slam dunk for the ring of honor. I mean, if Kirk McLean's up there, uh, do you go one step further? Uh, do you retire his number? And I think that that's going to be a debate as we move forward here. And especially if he says, you know what, I'm done. I mean, there's all kinds of talk about Bobrovsky and Panarin leaving Columbus and going to Florida next year as free agents that, you know, Florida's going to try to do it again. You know, we're going to we're going to make another big splash here. So if he's done, uh, I'll have a lot of respect for Roberto. And whether he belongs in the Ring of Honor uh, or have his number retired, well, we could have something to write about this summer.
1: <laughs> uh, greatest, greatest Canadian Canuck ever? Oh, I don't know. I'd say I'd, I'd, well, it's it's a, yeah. it's an anomaly with this franchise. Yeah. If yeah, I look at their true. greatest players, uh-huh. Bury's Russian, Sedin's Naslin's Swedish. You've got Pedersen, Besser's American, Kessler's American. When you look at their great Canadian players, it's really Luongo or Linden, isn't it?
0: Yeah, in terms of performance, yeah, yeah. You, you know, we we tend to forget how good Trevor was right from the get go, and and Luongo's body of work speaks for itself. Um, yeah, that you know, I've never actually I've never actually thought about that because, you know, you you look at the way the team is made up. It might have been easier if you said best Swedish player but then we'd probably have a long debate about that too <laughs> we'd be sitting here till tomorrow but yeah yeah, that's a great point Luongo Linden you know even even Burroughs to a degree when you think about you know, the influence he had on the organization um, you know Kevin BX I guess to a degree but uh, guys like Luongo
1: and uh, Linden stand tall and stand above those guys well, I could throw Messier in there, but that would probably uh, <laughs> <laughs> storm the gates here. Uh, we need to wrap it up here, Ben. Thanks for joining us. This is the White Towel Podcast. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts to get this delivered to you every week. Thanks for our producer, Quana. Thanks for listening, everyone. We will talk to you next week.